Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And in today's journey through history, I'm going to be continuing something that I started about three weeks ago, which was to select three different Fridays in December of this year and do a looking back episode of a newspaper that was published on that same date and tell you the stories that I find and kind of give you an idea of what was going on in that community on that specific date in history 100 years ago. In the prior two episodes, I did one on Benton Harbor on that specific Friday, and I did another on South Haven. And today, we're going to venture over into Kalamazoo, and I've got a very special newspaper that I found that uh, is uniquely different than the other ones. So come along and join me. You might find this one interesting. So before I begin, finding a specific date in history is not as easy as you may think, especially when you're trying to go back to like exactly 100 years, what was published on that date. And I had looked through several newspapers, and a lot of them didn't have a publication on, on Friday during that year in 1923. Uh, the Battle Creek Regional Library, the Willard Library, uh, did not have any newspapers in their archives for that year in 1923. It's one of the gaps in their collections. Um, so I could have gone to newspapers.com or one of these larger collections and probably found something quite easily. But I wanted to do a look at some individual collections at libraries and universities. And the only one that I found in Southwest Michigan in those collections was in Kalamazoo. And this newspaper is called the Augustinian, and it's a religious newspaper. And I thought, well, this would be uniquely uh, different and special. So let's see what was happening in the Augustinian on December 29th, 1923. The first thing that stands out is this column on the left-hand side that is entitled How to Succeed, and it was written by J.H. Barringer, who was a general manager of the National Cash Register Company. And it starts with, Here, young man, is some sound advice on how to succeed. Do more than anyone else on your job and do it better. Work where you have a chance to grow and make good. Learn the business from the ground up. Ask questions and keep your eyes and ears open. Never do anything without having a good reason for doing it. Use your head. Think for yourself. And when you're right, go ahead. When in an executive position and you want something done, go to the men you want to do what you want done and tell them what you want, why, and how you want it done. There isn't a day I don't visit some part of the factory and talk to the men and women. My office door is always open, and I make it a point to see every worker that wishes to see me. If you want your workers to be on the job and work hard for you, set them the example of hard work yourself. Speed combined with accuracy spells success. To the worker, I say, what man has done, man can do. Others have come up from the ranks, so can you if you try hard enough. And that was the end of that short article by Mr. J.H. Barringer, who was the general manager of the National Cash Register Company. Kind of a fitting article to read right before New Year's, especially for anybody out there who's going to be starting a new job in the new year. Might be some good advice to adhere to from 100 years ago. On the same page is a New Year's Eve poem 
that is published here. And it says, Good old days, dear old days, when my heart beat high and bold, when the things of earth seemed full of life, and the future a haze of gold. Oh, merry was I that winter night, and gleeful our little one's din, and tender the grace of our darling's face as we watched the new year in. But a voice, a specter, that mocked at love, came out of the yonder hall. Tick-tock, tick-tock, t'was the solemn clock, that ruefully croaked to all. Yet what knew we of the griefs to be in the year we longed to greet? Love, love was the theme of the sweet, fancied dream. I fancied might never fleet. But the specter stood in that yonder gloom, and these were the words it spake. Tick-tock, tick-tock, and they seemed to mock a heart about to break. Tis New Year's Eve, and again I watch in the old familiar place, and I'm thinking again of that old time when I looked at a dear one's face. Never a little one hugs my knee, and I hear no gleeful about. I am sitting alone by the old hearthstone, watching the old year out. But I welcome the voice in yonder gloom that solemnly calls to me, Tick-tock, tick-tock, for so the clock tells of a tale to be. Tick-tock, tick-tock, is so the clock tells of eternity by Eugene Field. So that was the poem on that page. There's an interesting Do You Remember When section on the front page, and it has two pictures of a couple of elderly gentlemen, and it says, Old-timers will remember the two stalwart Catholics shown here today, Michael O'Brien and John H. Blaney, both deceased. They were two of the first board of trustees at St. Augustine's. For years, these two gentlemen were very active in the building up of St. Augustine's Parish. Michael O'Brien was the father of Edward O'Brien, now a member of the choir, and Mrs. Daniel Holland and Miss Mary O'Brien. John H. Blaney was the father of Charles A. Blaney and Sister Bernard, now stationed at St. Joseph's School. So that was a little bit of a looking back article in this newspaper. There's another story on this page that says Christmas music to be repeated Sunday and the New Year's. The magnificent choral singing on Christmas Day was greatly enjoyed by the large crowds attending the Midnight Mass and the 1030 Mass. The crowd attending the Midnight Mass was so great that many were unable to gain admission to the church and had to come to a later Mass. Nearly a thousand Communicants approached the communion rail at the Midnight Mass. Reverend Father Hackett acted as the celebrant, with Fathers Dalton and Hayes assisting. Father Hackett, in his sermon, dwelt on the real spirit of Christmas. The work of the choir and the numerous soloists was a revelation to a great many of the parish at St. Augustine's and can well feel proud at the efforts of its choir. So that was the little bit of a snippet of an article about that. Then it goes into details of all the names of the choir directors and so forth in the article. So let's see what's happening on page two. Page two contains an obituary for Cornelius Haggerty, and it says the funeral of Cornelius Haggerty, who died Monday morning, December 24th, was held Thursday morning at 9 o'clock at St. Augustine's Church, Reverend Father Hackett officiating. Cornelius Haggerty was born in April 1877 in West Warren, Massachusetts. His family moved to Holyoke, Massachusetts, where he learned the papermaking business in the Holyoke paper mills. Nineteen years ago, he came to Kalamazoo to accept the position as foreman 
of the finishing department of the Kalamazoo Paper Company, which position he held at the time of his death. Thirteen years ago, he was united in marriage to Miss Nell Healy of Waterville, who, with two sons, Edward and Donald, survive. Three brothers and one sister, all of Holyoke, are left to mourn his loss. Cornelius Haggerty was of a quiet and unassuming nature, a devout and true Catholic gentleman, one who found his greatest happiness in his home. His life was that of the true Christian, for in his daily life he served his employers and friends faithfully and well as he served God. And then it lists a lot of his other family members that survived. Very nice little uh, obituary for this gentleman. There's a short little article here that says, Saints' names are on our maps. The names of saints are very prominent upon the map of the United States. Thriving cities, towering peaks, rich counties, and cool green lakes bear the designations of the heroes and heroines of the early church. This is due largely to the fact that the first explorers of America were in the main Catholics, and these devout and hardy pioneers were wont to name the objects of their discoveries for the patron saints or for the saint upon which day the discovery was made. And that was the extent of that little note or article. That's a fact that I was not aware of, that they sometimes named places that were established based on the patron saint of the day that the discovery was made. Interesting. There's a couple of ads on this page. There's one from a furniture company that just says, Happy New Year to everyone. Uh, the other one says, After Christmas sale of ready-to-wear garments for women, misses children. And it is J.R. Sons and Company. And another ad here about a good start to the new year. By Hyman Furniture would be a resolution to make the home more attractive. There is nothing that keeps the family happier and together more than the nicely comfortable and charming furnished home. And they are selling furniture. And another ad on this page by Victor Records. Uh, 15000 to select from Soundproof Testing Boots, the music shop incorporated on Burdick Street. So I guess you could go in and listen to the records in a sound booth and make your selection for your Victor Records. This is 1923. Here's an interesting article. It's called Combating the Klan. This is on page three. And it says the National Vigilance Association has been incorporated in Washington to combat the Ku Klux Klan and similar organizations. The association will present publicly, according to its announcement, arguments bearing upon the necessity of respect for the authority vested in the courts, compliance with the laws, the discouragement of obstruction to carrying out the law, and in the direction of a campaign generally of Americanism for the preservation of the government and the permanence of the Union. The association will seek the cooperation of military and social organizations, enlisting the aid of speakers throughout the country and the broadcasting literature by radio. The names of half of a hundred prominent educators, statesmen, and judges are listed as members of the National Committee. All this sounds very nice, but we doubt whether it will make much of an impression on the average Klansman. The Klan thrives on ignorance and prejudice, its members do not want enlightenment, and they would run away from the truth if, by accident, they met it. That is why the Klan thrives in certain sections of America, as well try to reason with a pack of mad dogs as to reason with men like Evans and his kind. 
Some 70 years ago, Cardinal Newman, then a simple convent priest, wrote The Present Position of Catholics in England. In that works, he pointed out the sources of the prejudice against Catholics in England of that day. The words of Newman apply to America of today and the unreasoning prejudice that animates so many of those who hate the church, says Newman. So the Ku Klux Klan was actively going after Catholics as well as uh, people of color. So it's an interesting note of, of point of history that the Catholics were actively battling the Klan as well, according to this newspaper. On the same page, there is an advertising photo for a scene from Walter Scanlon's new comedy, The Blarney Stone, at the Fuller, Friday evening, January 4th. And apparently it was a play that was going on during this time period. Other ads on this page include religious articles, make fine Christmas gifts. This was advertised by the Sisters of St. Joseph's Convent. And also H.S. Harrington, funeral director and embalmer, placed an ad here. And then uh, there's an ad also for a funeral home, a savings bank, and a good coal, all kinds Corlette Stone Lumber Company. So a man selling coal was advertising here. And there's an interesting one here. Lake Fresh Smoked Ocean Fish, Oysters, Clams, Lobsters, etc. in the season at the City Fish Market on North Burdock Street in Kalamazoo. Another interesting ad, the Perfection Felting and Mattress Company, a box spring mattress and all grades of mattresses made and repaired, feathers renovated, and your own feathers returned. 833 East Avenue. Interesting ad. You can have your feathers returned to you. And the last ad on this page, you want the best? Then ask for Blue Ribbon Ice Cream, made by Blue Ribbon Ice Cream Company. Phone 44. One, four. You guys might want to write that one down. Now, the next page on this newspaper has a very interesting article called Our Pattern Department. It's probably an ad, but this is very uh, telling of the time when they used to sell those clothing patterns in the newspapers and small publications, and then uh, the ladies would order them, and they'd have all these uh, patterns that they could make clothing from. And this article was quite interesting. It's got a lot of great graphic designs of women's dresses, kids' clothing, and uh, and the like. And it's got all these different pattern numbers that you could order in your fashion book from this company. And I guess it was made available through the Augustine newspaper here. Very interesting. Now, the rest of the page is entirely of ads. There is a very large ad for the Hotel Fort Shelby over in Detroit that's on this page. It says, winning for Detroit fame for hospitality. Running ice water in every room, day and night, valet service. And there's a whole lot of other interesting details here. But a very impressive hotel for its time. And then there's an ad here by the Kalamazoo Creamery Company. Drink milk and be healthy. There's no better food for you than our pure pasteurized milk and cream. Phone 727 and we will start delivery in the morning. When you buy butter, ask for clover and you'll get the best. The next page has a list of the officers of the Knights of Columbus, Council 1616. A lot of people listed there and 
Apparently, they were involved with the Fuller Theater with the production of the Blarney Stone, which is probably why that photo was on the previous page. Then there's an interesting little story here called The Patron Saint of Little Girls. The tongues and pens of all nations are employed in the praises of the youthful Saint Agnes, who overcame both the cruelty of the tyrant and tenderness of her age and crowned the glory of chastity, with that of martyrdom, says the true voice. Tradition has it that at the time of her death, she was but 13 years of age. Her beauty had won for her the affection of the Roman's perfect son, but she repelled his advances, saying, I will none of thee, thou prey of death, for I have been won by another lover. He hath placed a sign upon my brow, that I should have no other lover than him. To him alone is true confidence. Do I commit myself for loving him? I am chaste. Receiving him, I am a virgin. Angered by her refusal, the rejected suitor denounced her to his father as a Christian. When hailed before the tribunal, no manacles could be found small enough to confine her slender wrists. Young and tender as she was, she was protected by an angel. She was cast into the fire from the flames arched above her head and refused to harm her. Finally, the perfect ordered that she should be beheaded, kneeling down and drawing up her long hair over her face. She crossed her hands upon her bosom and awaited the blow like some rare plant whose slender stalk as white a lily bent with the luxuriance of its golden blossom. The sword of the executioner flashed in the air. In another moment, the virgin's snowy robe was dyed crimson in her blood, and Christ had received his martyr, his bride. And that was written by E.S. Rankin. So, very flowery story there. Kind of gruesome. Another ad on this page was by the Fuller Theater, and it says their New Year's attraction was a play called The First Year, and it was called the Best American Comedy Ever Written by the New York World and Best of All American Comedies by the New York Times. The first year of marriage is the hardest. See the classic of the spoken drama. And... Seats were fifty cents for the night show to two fifty. So you could get a seat from fifty cents up to two dollars and fifty cents for the night show or the matinee. And seat tickets went on sale on that same day, December 29th, which was a Saturday back then. The next page has a little section called jottings, and there's a lot of different random notes. This is very common in newspapers of that day, uh, especially during that time where they put a lot of little snippets of news together. And this first part is the new fish market, 534 Portage Street for fresh fish and oysters, and it gives the phone number. Uh, another noting here, the pastor wishes to express his appreciation to the parishioners for the Christmas collection. The list will be published later. It amounted to $1,446.69 collected at the Christmas celebration. Other notations here about people. Carson Donnelly, a former St. Joseph schoolboy now living in Chicago, is the proud owner of a fine new xylophone. 
Carson was a guest recently at the Illinois State Music Teachers Convention, and his work on the program attracted wide and favorable comment. Keep it up, Carson. We are all proud of you. Mr. and Mrs. Lawrence Holmes of Emerson Street announced the birth of their daughter on Tuesday, December 18th. Vincent Cheslick, who is studying art in Chicago, was home for Christmas holidays. Mrs. LaBelle Wheeler is quite ill at Old Burgess Hospital. St. Joseph's Church was crowded to its capacity at the Midnight Mass. Father Grace acted as celebrant with Father O'Donnell, CSC of Notre Dame, and Father Broger of St. Anthony's assisting. The Sisters of St. Joseph's wish to thank their many friends for remembering them so kindly at Christmas. And on the same page is an ad which ties in with some of the other episodes that I did about 1923 around this time, and it's an ad for the Remington Portable Typewriter, something you have been waiting for with standard keyboard and every other feature common to the larger machines, case only 4 inches high, price with case $60, Doubleday Brothers and Company, 223 East Main Street. So this was the year that the portable Remington typewriter came out. Apparently it was a very big deal and it was probably a very hot item on a lot of Christmas lists that year. So very interesting to see that ad on this page. It reminded me of the other newspapers from around the state that had references to the Remington uh, typewriter in their stories as well. And that's going to do it for today's journey through this newspaper. There's a lot of other interesting ads on this page, but uh, most of them are kind of ordinary. Milk Company, First National Bank, George McDonald Drug Company, and so forth. And uh, plumbers and, and so forth like that. But uh, very interesting to take a tour through a newspaper that is more specialized back in 1923. And this was the one that came out on the 29th of December. So if you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to leave a rating or review on whatever app that you are listening on. And feel free to uh, send me a message on michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners. And we're getting very close to the end of Season 2. I'm looking forward to bringing you new stories in 2024. And I hope that all of you out there will have a wonderful and prosperous new year. And certainly have a safe one on New Year's Eve. And everybody come home safely when you're out celebrating. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and we explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for listening.